Good evening. Our Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you would like to turn there with me uh, in your Bibles or your apps, Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because her Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And we also have a second reading this evening from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 19. Uh, flick forward a few pages, that's 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 to 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas Eve. My name is Adam. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really, really great to be together tonight. If you're a guest with us, uh, we're really glad that you're here. If someone's invited you to church, if someone's dragged you to church tonight, we're glad to have you with us. And kids, we're really excited that you were here as well. Like uh, Pastor Ben mentioned a moment ago, one more sleep. One more sleep. You know, there's a, a well-known saying that's usually attributed to Mark Twain. You may have heard it before. It's this. Fact is stranger than fiction. Fact is stranger than fiction. Now, there are many stories that I could share to illustrate this reality, but one story in particular stood out to me. This Cheery fellow on the screen, and we'll find out why he's not so cheery in just a moment, is Moran Karimi Nasseri. 
Now, he was born in Iran, but he decided to settle in the United Kingdom. But while he was en route to London, he lost his refugee papers when his briefcase was stolen in Paris. Despite this setback, he boarded the plane for London, but was then promptly sent back to Paris. Now, initially, he was arrested, but because his entry into the airport was legal, he was released. The catch? He was not allowed to leave the airport. And he ended up stuck in Terminal 1 of Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris for an astonishing 18 years. Now, I get a little bit frustrated when I have a layover that's a few hours, let alone 18 years. If this story sounds familiar to you, you may have seen the movie that it's based on, The Terminal, starring Tom Hanks. It's an incredible story, and it illustrates the reality that fact is sometimes stranger than fiction. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, if we're honest, for many Aussies, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth, with the wise men and the star in the sky and the shepherds in the field, it can seem to be more fiction than fact, to be more myth than reality. Even in the the reading from the Gospel of Matthew that we just heard, we were told about the virgin conception of Jesus, the, the angel that appeared in a dream. And it's these strange and miraculous details that lead many secular skeptical Aussies to dismiss the Christmas story as little more than a fairy tale, as mythical, as fanciful. Now, maybe this is where you land. You're in church tonight, but if you're honest, it's mainly out of nostalgia or tradition. Or maybe you're here to be kind to a friend or a family member that's invited you. But in your mind, truth be told, the Christmas story is irrelevant and irrational because it's little more than a myth. Or maybe you don't land there, but I guarantee that you know people that do. That you have a friend or a family member that dismisses the Christmas story as little more than a fable. Now, I'm a pastor, so obviously I would disagree. In fact, I've staked my whole life on the claims and the identity of Jesus being true, on the Christmas story being fact, not fiction. And I know that many of you here tonight have as well. And I believe that there are good reasons to do so. This is why what I hope to do tonight briefly is to show you Now, when the Bible talks about the the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus, it does not talk about it as mythical, but as historical, as something that happened in time and in space. In fact, we didn't read this from Matthew's Gospel, but in chapter 2, when Matthew turns to narrate the birth of Jesus, he does not begin by saying, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. No, he says Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. This is historically verifiable information. You can still go to visit Bethlehem. You can still walk through ruins that King Herod built. Because according to the Bible, the coming of Jesus is not mythical but historical. In fact, I don't know if you know this, But no serious historian doubts that Jesus of Nazareth existed. 
John Dixon is a historian, a professor, a theologian. He issued this following challenge back in 2014. He said, Jesus did live. I will eat a page of my Bible, which is not something I would recommend. If someone can find me just one full professor of ancient history, classics, or New Testament in an accredited university who thinks otherwise. Now, this challenge was issued five years ago, and John Dixon has yet to munch on the pages of his Bible. And this is why, when Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, a leader in the early church, when he turns to describe the coming of Jesus into this world, this is what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, literally myths, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. In other words, he's saying, we didn't make this up. This is not a story that we invented. This is fact, not fiction. Now, of course, the question is, well, well, how can we trust you, Peter? How can we trust your word? How can we be like you, so sure that the coming of Jesus is fact, not fiction? Well, what we saw in the passage that we read a moment ago from 2 Peter is that he actually gives us two reasons, two reasons for you and for me to not dismiss the Christmas story as fable, as myth, but to treat it seriously. The first reason we saw at the end of verse 16 It says, we did not follow cleverly devised stories, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, I literally saw Jesus with my own eyes. I observed what he did. I heard what he said. And did you notice how Peter described what he saw in Jesus? We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, this is amazing when you really think about the life of Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem, which was a tiny, tiny village. He was born to young peasant parents. He grew up in Nazareth, which was a tiny backwater town. He never got married, never had children, was never rich or famous. He he only lived around 30 years. Yet Peter describes what he saw in Jesus as majesty. Now, if you were to follow me around for a week or two, you would have some words to describe me, and I guarantee that one of them would not be majesty. So why would Peter describe Jesus in this way? Well, let me encourage you to do yourself a favor and to pick up a Bible over this holiday period and to read one of the four Gospels, one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Now, Mark would be a great place to start, not only because it's the shortest, but also because scholars believe it is based on Peter's eyewitness testimony. So you will literally see Jesus as Peter saw him. You will see his majesty, his power, his love, his gentleness, his humility. You will see his authority over all of our enemies, over all those things that ruin our lives, sin, selfishness, Sickness, disease, demons, even death. You'll see that when Jesus encountered these forces, it took simply a word and they bowed before him. Sins were forgiven. Hearts were changed. Sickness was overcome. Demons were cast out. Death 
was defeated. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. And Peter is saying, we saw this with our own eyes. In fact, there's one instance, there's one occasion in particular that stands out to Peter that he'll never forget. He refers to it in verses 17 to 18 of the passage. Peter was up on the mountain with Jesus and two other disciples and for a moment God lifted the veil and they saw Jesus for who he really was in all of his glory and all of his majesty and they heard a, a voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And Peter is saying to us, this was not a dream, we were there, we saw it with our eyes, we heard it with our ears. Now you might be wondering, but, but are these really credible witnesses? Isn't Peter a little bit biased? Wasn't he a, a friend of Jesus? Didn't they live in the same neighborhood? Well, let me put this to you. If you want to get to know me as I really am, who should you ask? You should ask my wife. She's the, the poor soul that has to live with me. You should ask my parents. They're the ones that raised me. If you want to get to know me as I really am, Ask the people closest to me. Please don't do that after the service. <laughs> These men lived with Jesus night and day, talked with him, walked with him, ate with him. And Peter is saying, this is what we saw. We witnessed his majesty. Now you might say, well, of course Peter would say this. He just wants more converts. He wants more people to join the church so that his power and his authority increases. Well, if that was Peter's plan, it didn't work out too well for him. Peter did not become rich and famous. He did not live a long life of prosperity. History tells us that he died violently, crucified upside down because of his testimony about Jesus. Now, would you be prepared to die for something that you knew was a lie? A fairy tale, something you'd made up. The fact is, all of the apostles, all of the eyewitnesses to Jesus, they died violently for their testimony about Jesus. Peter, like I mentioned, was crucified upside down. Paul, Paul was beheaded. Matthew was stabbed to death. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned to death. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. Andrew, Philip, Simon and Bartholomew were crucified. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Thomas was speared to death and John died in exile. Now, this might not be what you expect to hear in a Christmas sermon, but the fact is, these men died because they were convinced that the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus, was fact, not fiction. They had seen it with their eyes, and they would not deny it with their mouths, and so they paid for it with their lives. Now, would you die for something you knew to be a myth? It's incredibly unlikely. And this is the first reason that Peter gives for us to take the Christmas story seriously. The eyewitness accounts of Jesus. The second reason he gives us in verse 19. He goes on, he says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Now what's this prophetic message and why is it so reliable? Well, Peter is reminding us that the coming of Jesus, it was not a surprise that came out of nowhere. It was actually the fulfillment of many prophecies and predictions and promises that God had made many years earlier in the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, it's estimated that there are 300 promises and prophecies and predictions about this coming saviour. And these promises are incredibly specific and amazing. They're about where he will be born, how he will be born, where he will live, how he will die, what will happen afterwards. There's even a prophecy as to how many coins will be used to betray him. Now, according to someone much smarter than me, the chance of these prophecies being fulfilled in just one person in one point in history is astronomical. Apparently, it's one in 100 million billion. Or, to to put it visually, if you were to have that amount of silver coins, they would cover the state of Texas in America to the depth of about 60 centimetres. If you were to then take one of those silver coins put a mark on it, throw it back in the pile of coins, mix it all up, get someone who is blindfolded, tell them to go hunting through the pile of coins, bend over, pick one up, the chances, the odds that they would pick the marked coin are the same odds that just one person would fulfill all these prophecies from the Old Testament. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus has done. Now, I don't know if you're a gambling type, But if you're not a believer, if you've never seriously considered the claims of Jesus, then surely these odds warrant some further exploration. Surely they encourage you to pay attention to Jesus. That's what Peter goes on to say. He says, and you will do well to pay attention to it, the message about Jesus, as a light shining in a dark place. But of course, I guess the question is, well, where do I go to find this message about Jesus? Where do I go to explore it further? I mean, it's easy for Peter to say, pay attention. He had Jesus right in front of him. He went up a mountain and and heard the audible voice of God. If I had an experience like that, I'd probably believe in Jesus too. Now, friend, is that what you're waiting for? Are you waiting for God to split the sky and to speak audibly? Can't you see that that's already been done? That God has split the universe and come near to us in Jesus? That God has spoken his word to us through Jesus? And that it's all recorded for us in the Bible? Because the Bible is a book about Jesus from front to back. The Old Testament tells us about the coming of Jesus. It prepares us for Jesus. And then the New Testament tells us all about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. It's all about Jesus. The Bible is not man's words about God. It's God's word to man about Jesus. And it is a word of incredibly good news. That's what the angel said on the night of Jesus' birth. I bring you good news of great joy. And it will be for all the people. And it's good news because Jesus came from heaven to earth to reveal God to us. That's what we heard in the the reading from Matthew. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is not just a religious guru or a good teacher. He is God among us. God in the flesh. And do you know what this means? It means that God is not our enemy. He is our ally. God is not our attacker. He's our defender. And it means that all that we've done, 
all that we've done, all the reasons we've given God to ignore us, to stay away from us, to abandon us, God has come near to us. And Jesus is not only God with us, he's also God to the rescue. That's what Matthew also told us. He will save his people from their sins. The really shocking truth of Christmas is not that Jesus Christ, the promised saviour, was born of a virgin. It's that Jesus, the son of God, came to die. He came to go to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, for our evil, for our rebellion and rejection of God so that we might stand before God loved, forgiven and accepted, so that the way to God might be open for all who would come. This is a life-changing, world-transforming message and this is why Peter describes it as a light shining in a dark place. Because Jesus is the light of God in a dark world. And the question is, well, will you come to the light? Now, I read a story recently that took place during World War II where there were six Allied fighter pilots and they were out on a mission. They set off from their aircraft carrier, the ship that they they had been on. Now, while they were out on their mission, the, the aircraft carrier got word to go to a complete blackout because there were enemy submarines spotted in the area. So when these fighter pilots came back to the ship, they were surprised to find no landing lights where the ship ought to have been. One of the pilots radioed the ship, give us some light so we can land. The response came back, negative. We can't give you any light at this time. A full blackout has been ordered. A bit later, a second pilot requested, give us some light so we can land. Negative. Blackout still in effect. A third pilot, dangerously low on fuel, said, can't you at least give us one light so we can land? The radio operator was told to discontinue contact. And as a result, all six fighters went down in the dark waters of the Atlantic. Now, many of us go through life thinking that if there is a God, he has left us in the dark. He's turned off the lights. He's discontinued all contact. But the entire message of the Bible, the message of the Christmas story, is that this is not true. That God has left us a light in Jesus. In fact, in the Gospel of John, another eyewitness account about Jesus, he writes, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, the real question is not, has God left a light for us? God has most certainly left a light for us in Jesus. The real question is, will we come to that light? Will we come to Jesus. John goes on, he says, he came, talking about Jesus, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The question you've got to answer this Christmas is this, is the coming of Jesus Christ fact or fiction? Is it myth or reality? And if it's fact, it's the best news in the world. It changes everything. It means God really has left us a light. We really can come home and we really can become children of God. So that's the question I want to leave you with this Christmas. Will you come to the light? 
Will you come to Jesus? He has come from heaven to earth for you and he invites you to come home to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shone your light upon us, that we who were in great darkness have seen a light, and that light is Jesus. And Lord, for all of us here who are not sure about that, I ask and pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, might open eyes and shine your light, shower your love, and bring your salvation. And Lord, for those of us who have come to Jesus, help us to see afresh the wonder, the awe, the majesty of who he is and what he's done. We worship you and we give you thanks on this Christmas Eve. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Church, would you stand? to hear this blessing from the Word of God. We opened our service with these words and we're gonna close it with these words as well as we prepare to sing. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. God bless. Thank you.